Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free in iTunes or at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find Amazon links that help you purchase the music you hear on the show and that also give a little back to the Jazz Session. And you'll find a donate button so you can securely contribute to the show if you feel like it's contributed something to you. If you're interested in becoming an underwriter of the Jazz Session, please contact me. You'll find all the information on how to do that at the contact page at thejazzsession.com. My guest today, Beth Shank, is a saxophonist uh, working in New York, and I learned about her through Andrew Durkin of the Industrial Jazz Group. Uh, Andrew was on the show uh, talking about that band when they did their East Coast tour either earlier this year or at the end of last year. I can't quite remember. Uh, But in any case, uh, Andrew also uh, told me about Beth, who often performs with the group. She's got a great new record out called What Shock Heard, and it opens with uh, this composition called Wish or Wonder. My guest is composer and saxophonist Beth Shank. Her new album is called What Shock Heard, and it's my pleasure to welcome Beth to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. The first thing that uh, really struck me about this record the first time I listened to it and has just uh, become stronger since is how rhythmically strong it is, both in terms of the the rhythm section, but also the way the the horns uh, are kind of set against that. And so I guess I wanted just to open by asking you kind of about your, your approach uh, to rhythm, uh, which seems pretty central to your compositions. Oh, great! Thanks. Um, 
I, I, I've been thinking a lot about rhythm uh, more recently than uh, when I recorded that. But um, I like I like to play with rhythm um, in, a, in a sort of different way than I guess um, most people approach it. Um, it's important to me to instill some sort of fragileness and brokenness um, sounding um, aspect to my music because I feel that's um, where it's coming from emotionally. So one way for me to do that compositionally is to start and stop phrases, make them jagged, make them awkward, make them maybe sometimes feel like they're about to fall apart. Um, but hopefully hopefully through the through the structure it makes sense and there's a bigger form but as far as certain phrases or how I want to come in and out I want things to be starting and stopping as if almost like a stutter on some things that's that's an important thing that I've spent time working on and thinking about it's it's as if you read my mind uh, because the the second thing I was going to say about this album rhythmically is that there are places where these gigantic almost like anthemic you know rock backbeats happen and they last for a measure or you know two measures and stop um, or there are things that sound like they're going to be very emphatically in four and then are suddenly not uh, uh-huh. which I which I really love there's a there are moments it seems to create a lot of tension in the music because then there are moments where it kind of bursts into what you thought might happen but but didn't happen all those other times and it just seems like a beautiful way to create some kind of tension and release in the music yeah that's that's what i was going for so thanks (laughs) (laughs) yay Uh, (laughs) so uh speaking of uh, rhythm on this record it's uh it's got just a a fantastic uh rhythm section will you talk about the folks who join you on this album and also another great saxophone player sure um well uh let's see I I came to New York in 2005. Before that, I was living in uh, L.A. And um, I I knew that I wanted to put together a band, and I hadn't ever had a band before, but I had been slowly sort of experimenting on writing music, and I had played my music with some people that had never had my own project. And it, it became apparent maybe 2006 that this is something that I needed to pursue. And before you go any farther to talk about how you met these folks, can you talk about why that was important? Because I had been building up all this music at my house that was sitting in a folder that wasn't getting played, <laughs> and it became more and more and more important to me to have it played. I, I was playing with other people and doing other projects, um, which I continue to do, and it's fun. But um, I feel like my music is... To, to me, it's like autobiographical. Autobiographical. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's like writing in a diary. So, um, I wanted to hear it, and I wanted to hear it with musicians I wanted to play with, and uh, and it, it, it was a little. I was a little fearful about starting it, but um, slowly it became necessary, I guess, for me to have an outlet for this music.
mostly at that time I was writing trio music. So, um, for, uh, first I got Jeff, and I had met Jeff through uh, a mutual friend, Tony Malaby, who uh, Jeff was playing with Tony, and Tony is an old friend of mine. You just mentioned that and, that's drummer Jeff Davis that you're talking about. Yeah, Jeff Davis. And uh, we played a session together, and I immediately loved his playing and his energy. Um, and he actually recommended Ivan, who who I had heard on some records and loved his playing, had never met him, um, but they're, they're close friends and they play in many projects together. They have a real rapport together. Um, so that was the first part, getting those two guys together. And uh, I immediately fell in love with them and the way that they communicate together. They're like perfect foils for each other, I think. Um, and then the other, the other two members, uh, one is Bill McHenry, tenor saxophonist, and uh, I knew I was hearing tenor, and I had been writing a lot of music that had tenor, tenor lines. Um, and for that, I had met him a couple times and never played with him either. And uh, I just decided that I was going to start at the top of my list of tenor players in New York and go down. So I thought, who would I want to play over anybody else? If I could pick anybody to play this music, who would it be? And it was Bill. And so we started getting together and practicing together and playing together. And it's been a really great friendship and uh, musical friendship as well. And then the guitarist in my band I've been playing with since 2000. Um, he's actually my husband. And... Uh, that was an easy choice because we played together many times. We played together three, three or four times a week at the house, and we can we can communicate without. I mean, our communication musically is is deeper than anybody else I have in my life. Um, so that was an easy choice for me, and and so we came together and we played a few gigs, and then um, it it was an important. Um, thing for me to start thinking about doing a record so this was the obvious choice for who i wanted to play with at that time and since you had been writing music for quite a while before this uh this recording session happened there must have been some kind of selection process how did you figure out what was going to end up on the album uh, compositionally i wanted to create a sort of like narrative through the cd and uh it was important to me to create like a bigger story form than just one piece in the, in the story form of one piece, but um, a general sort of atmosphere and um, moodiness, I guess. Um, and these were the pieces that I was sort of um, thinking about and and uh, most attached to at that, at that time. And um, some of them were were written um, specifically for certain people in mind to play over. Like, um, there's a track, Attic, that is really just like one big uh, drum solo that I wrote specifically for Jeff to play. Um, and so, so yeah, these are, these are the ones that we had, A, either played with out as a, as a group. We had played these tunes, and I felt um, good about them, and we had established... Um, a certain vibe that I wanted for the tunes, or or I had written them for, you know, the specific people in the group. 
So, Beth, when you talk about a narrative for the record, do you mean that in a in a programmatic way, or just uh, like you talked about, kind of a a, a mood or a, a feeling to the album? Hmm, it's a difficult question. Um, um, I guess I guess more mood, but also I, I feel like. Um, I had very specific intentions for each piece and what what I wanted to say in each piece. And so putting them together and figuring out what order I wanted them in and, and what tunes would work and what tunes wouldn't, um, I feel like they're all from, they're all from, I had written all these tunes within maybe two years. Um, and they all are coming out of a certain time in my life that was actually pretty pretty turbulent um, and so I felt like like as if you re- you're um, reading a diary that these these were entries into a diary from a certain time period and I wanted to get them down and I wanted them to be recorded so I could remember them as sort of like a chapter in my life so and it seems like there's a piece of that that's intensely personal to you because it my guess is that without someone knowing you and knowing you quite well, it would be very difficult for any listener to just pick up the record, which doesn't have any liner notes or anything and try to figure out any of that, you know, other than just hearing the music, you can't really figure it out from the song titles or anything, which are, uh, you know, they don't, they're not narrative song titles or programmatic song titles. Right. Right. Yeah. It was important for me to know. I think it's important for me to know where these are coming from, but I, I hope as a listener they're uh, if you don't know the backstory, you can get a general sense of of the the moodiness and the I don't know the overall sense of my personality and who who I am as a as a writer and as a as a taxonist. <laughs> Although this album uh, came out this year, it was actually recorded a couple summers ago, and so now, yeah. now that you kind of look at it as a, as a snapshot of that time and as a, a series of kind of diary musical diary entries, do you think that it 
um, does it have for you that resonance that you were looking for? Does it in kind of encapsulate that time for you in the way that you hoped? Yeah, definitely. And I and now that I've had a couple of years um, of more writing that I've done, my, my I feel like my writing has again changed a lot um, and reflects you know my current um, my current life. So uh, so I do feel like um, it's successful in that way to me that that it that it marks a certain time period. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I was having a, a conversation about this uh, with a with a poet friend of mine um, about publishing first books, and uh, the fact that a, you know a first book usually contains, uh, at least in the poetry world, and I assume this is true in other forms of writing, but it usually contains things that are you know kind of old. They're all the things that were up to the time you published your first book, and usually by the time that happens, you've greatly moved on. Uh-huh. from that point and so you wonder like when the book actually comes out are you going to hate it or what you know what is it going to be like does it really represent who I am as an artist and this friend of mine said um, that it is in many ways just the thing you put out into the world to kind of establish that that you really are doing the thing you say you're doing like this uh-huh. book you know this book exists to say yes I am a poet or in the case of an album to say I am a musician and here's some physical evidence of that fact does that seem like a kind of a fair way to look at Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. That resonates. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned that you had been living in L.A., and I learned uh, that you existed from uh, Andrew Durkin, uh, who runs the Industrial Jazz Group, who I saw on their East Coast tour, although I think in Pittsfield, am I right to say that you weren't there? Is that right? But I'm not there now. Yeah. So I didn't get to see you, but um, but yeah, Andrew told me about you, and uh, so I thought maybe you could fill in a little uh, little backstory for us. Just tell us about your your West Coast experience. Is that where you're from, and how did you hook up with IJG and that kind of thing? Sure. Um, I'm actually from the Midwest, but uh, I went to a school out in LA called Cal Arts, and uh, that's where I met Andrew um, and started and started uh, playing in his band, the Industrial Jazz Group. Um, and that's actually where I started writing music as well. I hadn't ever thought about writing music or wanted to write music before. It never crossed my mind. And um, at KellArts, I was very quickly forced to write music. Um, <laughs> the director there said, okay, you can you can come be in this quintet to play at you know the IAJE Festival, but uh, you can only be in it if you... Compo- compose a piece for it. So I was thrown into it and um, I loved it. So that's kind of where my uh, um, interest in composing came from was my time in LA. And then uh, after graduating from uh, Cal Arts, I got a big band gig that was that was for a year in Japan. So I went from being in LA to Japan for a year and I wrote for that um, for that ensemble as well which was kind of fun because it was my first outlet of getting to write music um, for a large audience and just try stuff out so that was a good experience and, and then, what, um, what was that band and, and where were you in Japan can you talk more about that sure um, it was just it was it was an American band. There were eighteen musicians that went over there for a year, and it was, quite, it was kind of like a resort band. We played we played everything. We played um, Cuban music. We played saxophone quartet, classical saxophone quartet music, um, Dixieland music, really everything. Um, and it was in it was it was near Nagasaki, but but. Um, 
actually outside of Nagasaki, so it was it was on the southern island of Kyushu, which is which is like um, a, um, someone from Japan coming to the U.S. and spending a year in like South Dakota. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, <laughs> used, I used to live in Japan, basically. so I'm yeah, I'm familiar. With that, so. so um, I was there a year and then um, was visiting New York and found out I was not going to be going back to Japan for another year um, and found an apartment. <laughs> so just ended up here. So I, I want to go back to uh, something you said about your, your time at CalArts and that up to the time that you were kind of f- thrown into the compositional arena, you hadn't been interested in it, which is it to me is fascinating because I think that was probably true for a lot of musicians at one point. And nowadays it almost seems like almost the only way to put yourself out there is to write your own music. I mean, that just seems to be kind of what musicians of roughly this generation are are doing. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you had thought about composition kind of before this uh, this ultimatum at CalArts? Sort of? um, honestly, I hadn't thought about it much at all. Um, I actually got my undergraduate degree at Arizona State, and uh, I was a classical saxophonist, um, so I played orchestral music, um, and that's what I had been studying up until that point. And um, I knew I needed I needed to be doing creative music, and I wasn't sure what that meant at that point because I hadn't ever been in any sort of creative music scene. Um, I knew a few standards, and that's about it. So um, I auditioned uh, for CalArts from a master's with, you know, the couple standards I knew and and got in. Um, And then from there, it just opened up a whole world because if there's any school that lets you try whatever you want to do, it would be that school. And so I was surrounded by people doing absolutely everything from performance art to, you know, African drumming, um, just everything. So I, I, I didn't know, I, I didn't know what I wanted to be doing. I just knew that I, that, um, playing chamber music on saxophone was not what I was called to do. And I wanted something much more creative and, I wasn't really sure what that was, um, which is one of the reasons why I went and you know went to CalArts and tried to get another degree, um, because I was I wasn't I wasn't sure of my direction. I just knew it wasn't I wasn't heading in the direction I wanted to be in. So CalArts gave me a couple years to kind of figure out what I wanted to do, and um, and that all these doors opened for me as far as writing music being around creative musicians that were willing to play each other's music, being able to try out things without being judged. It was a, it was a really great, a really great couple of years for me. Um, and I also studied and then later recorded and um, played with Vinnie Golia, who is a, who's a really amazing um, multi-instrument, multi-instrumentalist and composer out in L.A., um, and he just is the most encouraging person ever. And, uh, he, you know, he just helped me just keep growing as a musician and figuring out what I wanted to do and pushing me to try different things. So it was really great being around all these people. I could just be like a sponge and absorb all these different, uh, 
different ideas about music and composing and playing and and it kind of opened up my eyes to what was possible to do. So since you've been in New York, can you talk about uh, what it's been like now being on the East Coast and, and making your way in, in New York City? Sure. Um, well, I love New York. Um, it's it's hard to live here, but it's great. Um, there's about half a million musicians that are all trying to <laughs> make their way here, <laughs> which can be intimidating and inspiring at the same time. Um but I guess the greatest thing about living here is that there's so many great musicians. You, you can find people that, I mean, if you look hard enough, you can find people that are doing exactly what you want to be doing and play exactly how you want to be playing and associate yourself with them. So I just feel lucky that I get to play with such amazing musicians out here and uh, be constantly inspired by all the great music that happens out here. It's a... Uh, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. Who are some of the people with whom you uh, regularly work? Um, well, besides my own band, um, I'm in a group um, by a trumpet player named Phil Rodriguez, who's also from LA, and uh, we we have a let's see, is it quintet? One, two, three, four. No, a sextet. Two basses, two guitars and two horns um that's a group that i love playing with and um recently i've done a few gigs with andrew d'angelo's big band which is a blast and uh i've been doing some more free free music uh gigs lately which has been fun and uh working with a few composers in the new music era uh sect of new york um which which I like. It puts me in a different world, which I like. Um, let's see. I guess those are the main things that I've been doing recently. And here. Uh, keeping in mind that this show will air in a few weeks, are there some uh, performance opportunities, uh, chances for folks to come out and see you? 
Um, I have a few shows coming up in September. Um, not my own projects, but other people's projects. But I am um, a couple of months away from uh, having a child. So I'm not doing a lot of playing in the next couple of months oh, congratulations. until the baby's born. So <laughs> That's great. Congratulations. Thanks. So... Uh, did this uh, this this particular band uh, does it remain your your kind of working band and will it again after uh, after your child comes on the scene? Um, yes, I, I've been writing a lot of music. Uh, it, it's more it's more interesting to me right now to be writing um, for the full quintet, not the trio. Um, mostly because I've been writing a lot more harmonically more harmonic music than. Uh, open structures so um, it's important for me to um, still have this band going Um, I also started a project this year with uh, Corey Smythe who's an amazing pianist Um, so that's a that's a duo project that I'm extremely interested in um, hopefully recording and uh, doing some shows after the baby's born (laughs) My guest is Beth Shank. Uh, she's got a new record called What Shock Heard that I highly recommend. And, uh, Beth, it's been a real pleasure to, to talk to you. Thanks very much for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. That's music from saxophonist Beth Schenk and her album What Shock Heard. 
I'm Jason Crane, and this is The Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find Amazon links that uh, help you purchase the music you hear on the show, and they support the show at the same time, and you'll find a donate button if you'd like to give something back. If you're interested in becoming an underwriter of The Jazz Session, please contact me. You can figure out how to do that by visiting the contact page at thejazzsession.com. The Respect Sextet recorded the theme music for this program. Thanks very much to them. They've got a new record out called Farcical Built for Six, and you'll find it at respectsextet.com. Also, thanks to Dave Vrabel, who designed the show's logo, and whose brother Jeff Vrabel, at jeffvrabel.com, wrote the liner notes for the aforementioned Respect Sextet CD. It all comes together, doesn't it? Thank you so much for listening. Please go out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.